Galatians chapter 6. This is just an amazing passage of Scripture. We are going to be getting back, Lord willing, to the book of Zechariah. Zechariah 12 is a very heavy chapter. It's, it's a very serious, we're going to go through the Bible quite a bit. It's, I mean, it is, God is pronouncing some really heavy, heavy stuff. And I just, the Lord impressed me to just go a little bit different direction this morning because I think some folks need some encouragement and some help sometimes. And sometimes that real heavy stuff from the Old Testament, it's just not what you need right now. So I'm trying to be a good pastor. And you know that I'm not an emotional person and all of that. While I was preaching in New York, one of the preachers in the morning, this was awesome. He said, I had an emotion once, but I didn't like the way it felt. <laughs> and I said, I have to use that at home. That is, that is fantastic. But I really do try to follow the Lord's leading. And so today, I think that this subject today will really help us. So look at Galatians chapter 6, and let's read starting in verse 1. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault... Ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Man, we all know that we have faults, right? We as believers, we have faults. And when we have a, a brother, and that's what it says, brethren, when we have a brother or sister that's struggling with something, well, we're not supposed to um, harm them or be mean to them. We're supposed to help them considering ourselves. Because how many of you would say, you know what, I don't have it all together yet? How many of you would say that? Right? And so considering yourself when people are struggling, that's why we help them in a biblical way. Look at the next verse. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. I'm going to preach on that this evening, Lord willing. I'm so thankful that we're not in this alone that when you're going through something, someone else has gone through it, right? I heard someone say one time that when um, a pagan gets cancer, a, a Christian gets cancer, so the world can see the difference. And, you know, when one of you ladies is going through cancer, Dodie New can talk to you because she's been through cancer. That's what God brings to the church, right? We... We can bear one another's burdens because life is hard not only for the lost, but life is hard for believers as well. We just have the answers from the Word of God, right? Look at the next verse. For if a man think himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. Well, that's not a great self-esteem verse, is it? But it's just true. We're all just beggars showing other beggars where we have found bread. Isn't it wonderful that we've, we've had the bread of life? We've, we've, we've had a drink of that, that fountain of Christ so that we have answers in this world. We have hope. We have joy in the midst of trouble, not in the absence of trouble, that we know how we can help each other. Look at verse 4. But let every man prove his own work, and then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. It's one, What is this talking about? Bear one another's burdens, but do your own work. It's interesting, there are people in the culture, whether politically or otherwise, that, that they practice this, bear one another's burdens, and basically they want you to bear their burdens. You all with me on that? 
No, we're supposed to bear one another's burdens. But in our daily lives, we are supposed to do our own work. The Bible says if a man would not work, neither should he eat. That's what the Bible says. Are you all with me on this? Isn't it wonderful how the Bible balances that out? It's not only if a man does not work, neither should he eat. That's not where it ends. It's also bear one another's burdens. Man, I like that. Uh, that's, that's the well-rounded Christian. I'm going to do what I can to help you, but I'm going to pay my bills. I'm going to do what I can. Now, how many of you have ever been in a time where financially or whatever, you needed help? How many of you have been in a financial situation where you needed help? Praise God there are people around that can help. But you're not supposed to stay there forever. You're supposed to, through the help of God's people and the character that God teaches, get to the place where you are the one who is able to help someone who is in need and not need that help yourself. Are you with me? There are other times when you do everything right, you order everything right, and all of a sudden you need help. That's when God's people step up and help. I love the Christian life. And what we've done is we have allowed government to take the place of the church in these areas of help and need and common assistance and those things. Are you all with me on that? Then look at what it says. Verse 6, Let him that is taught in the word communicate unto him that teacheth in all good things. So what that is, that's you're supposed to communicate in all good things. This is you're supposed to pay the preacher. And I'm just including that because the budget meeting is coming up. And I just uh, Come on, that was funny. A little bit? Just a little bit? Look at the next verse. Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. It's interesting. What are we sowing in this text? Just let's back up a little bit. Look at what we're sowing. If a man's overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one. So what are we sowing? When somebody else, when, when a friend messes up, so Ethan, let's say that Simon, I went through Lincoln, I went through all these names, but I got it. Okay, so let's say that, that Simon is having trouble. Well, Ethan can either, either mock him and, and hurt him, or he can come alongside him and be a friend. What's he doing? He's sowing something. Because here's what will happen. Sam will see how Ethan has helped Simon. And then when Ethan has trouble, then Sam ought to help Ethan the way that Ethan helped Simon. Are you all with me on this? We're sowing something. We're sowing something. And guys, there is nothing better than mocking your friends, right? Just busting their chops, just making fun of them. And I'll tell you, Kids who never receive that, they have a hard time out in the world, right? We need to be able to make fun of each other. We have to. It's a blast. It is just fun. But listen, we also need to be the one that when there really is a problem, that's not when we're making fun. That's when we're encouraging. That's when we're helping. What are we doing? We're sowing something there. Right? And the Bible says we're going to reap it. Look at the next thing that we're going to sow. Um, bear ye one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. So here's, here's an example. How many of you, Doug, has done something that's helped you somewhere along the way? How many of you would say that? Okay, so if Doug and Debbie ever needed something, there's going to be a line of people there to help them. 
because they've sown that. How about this? How many of you Dan knew has ever done something for you? Right? So if there's ever, if they ever need something, we'll tell Brent and Wade to do it because that's what the Bible says. <laughs> no, we, we would be, he's never done anything for you? Of course not. So that, that's the, we're sowing that, right? The, you epic guys the, and girls, the, the way that Nathaniel and Diana and Wade and Stacy have invested in you, that's, you're going to want to help somebody that way. It, that's sowing and reaping. It's sowing and reaping. You can't lift that out of its context. That's what it's talking about. Then look at this, verse 3. For if a man think himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. So if you are sowing pride, then when you mess up, because here's where you're going to mess up, in the area of your pride. Right? So for example, um, God's given me a good memory. How many of you have ever noticed that God gave me a good memory? This is what happens. Whenever I mess up in preaching, it's usually I forget something and I can't do it. Because what God does is it, it's such an amazing thing. When you sow in an area, that's where you're going to reap. So if you sow in pride, when you think you're something, man, when you mess up in that area, that's when people really enjoy pointing it out. Right? Our favorite thing to do is pointing out the hypocrisy of the stars. For example, the NBA right now. So these NBA stars, they love to come out against our president and against every conservative issue in the world. They wouldn't have the all-star game in North Carolina because North Carolina said, we want guys to go in the guys' bathrooms and girls to go in the girls' bathrooms. Because of that, they boycotted the state. But they're defending China right now where there are 1.4 billion slaves. I'm just telling you, and I'm done. I can't do the NBA. You guys do whatever you want. I'm not telling anybody else what to do. I, that hypocrisy, I can't take it, right? What are, we, what are we pointing out? The area of their pride and arrogance is the area where they have failed. It's biblical. It's biblical. So what are we supposed to do? We're not supposed to think too highly of ourselves, if I tell you I struggle remembering these things, you know, confess your faults one to another. How many times have I told you, man, I can't remember people's names. When I meet people, I'll tell you, it's going to be hard for me to remember your name. I'm, I remember what happened on October 16th, 1555. That's when Latimer and Ridley were burned at the stake. I can remember that. I can't remember your name when I'm talking. I had to stand here for a minute and try and remember Simon's name. I've known Simon since before he was born. It, that's a fault. Right? So what happens is if we sow properly, then we reap properly. If we sow in a negative way, then we're going to reap that. Look, let's look at that next verse. But let every man prove his own work. Then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. I'm just telling you, you can only mooch off people for so long. Right? You can only be the guy that forgets his wallet when you go out to eat so many times. It's interesting. Because people will not... You know who, who people like to help? People that are hard workers. Then look at the next one. It says, let him that is... Uh, oh, for every man shall bear his own burden. Then verse 6, let him that is... I got to stop. I got I to... Bear ye one another's burdens in verse 2. Verse 5, for every man shall bear his own burden. Is that a contradiction? No. 
Man, what a wonderful truth that is. Look at verse 6. Let him that is taught in the word communicate unto him that teacheth in all good things. One of the things that I have begun talking with young preachers and struggling preachers about, people who are struggling in ministry, is this. So Grace Baptist takes very good care of Laura and I. You, you pay us well. We are comfortable. We, we don't really have any needs, and you all are very kind to us. But here's what that does. So when you have someone who needs counsel, I heard a preacher say, it was John Rawlings from Cincinnati. He said, never take advice from a loser. That's good advice. Never take advice from a loser. How many of you think that's good advice for our young people and for all of us, right? When churches don't pay pastors well, well, how many of you have ever been to a church that looks like the pastor really can't even afford to feed his family? You ever been in a situation like that? Why would people in the community trust that guy? Isn't that interesting? You wouldn't trust it. How many of you have ever been into a restaurant that doesn't look clean? And you say, Jim Gaffigan, he described Waffle House as a truck stop bathroom with food. I actually love Waffle House. But anyway, when you go into a restaurant and it's not clean, you leave. When you go into a church and it's not clean, what happens? You're just going to leave. These people, don't, they're not doing everything decently and in order. They're not doing all things unto the Lord. The building needs to be clean. It needs to look right. It look, needs to look like people care about it. It doesn't have to be a cathedral with marble. It doesn't have to be that. It can be drywall and carpet, but it had better be neat drywall and clean carpet. Are you with me? So this is one of the things that I've been talking to preachers about, and it's not the job of... So like for me, as a, as a, as a guest preacher... It's not my job to teach those people how to pay the pastor. It's the pastor's job to teach the people how to pay the pastor. Amen? Are you with me on that? And you all do a great job with that. But I watch these young preachers, and they're struggling so much financially. That's just not the right way. If someone is teaching the Word of God in a local church, that person should be paid well enough to not to have to worry about finances while they're helping the people in the church. Amen? We ought to get a better amen on that so the guests understand that you are actually want to pay me. Okay? Let's... All right, good, good. Um, and you understand it's not about me. It's talking about the person who communicates the Word of God. It's really an important thing. And here's what happens. When you, when you sow into the pastor good things, what do you reap? Good things. For example, how many of you have learned something since you've come to Grace Baptist Church? You've learned something. Well, if you walk into my library, there's about 6,000 books in there. Where did they come from? They didn't just poof into existence. You paid for them. What are you doing? You're sowing in me so that you can reap the benefit of that investment. Are you all with me on that? It's such an important thing in the ministry, and preachers are afraid to talk about it. You're not supposed to talk about the preacher's pay. You're not supposed to do it. Well, the Bible just says right here what we're supposed to do. And if you invest in your pastors, then you reap good things from that. Okay, so now let's go on. Verse 8. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. 
This is such an interesting thing. And the rest of the chapter is dealing with people glorying in the flesh or glorying in the cross. That's what it's about. And we live in a culture where, and it's been this way in the United States for a long time, where really the whole point of life is what can I get? What can I enjoy next? How can I feed my flesh next? Like this row right here, all they're thinking about right now is lunch. Just kidding. How many of you honestly were thinking a little bit about lunch? Yeah, yeah, look at that. I knew it. Look at this. I knew it. And ladies, this is so funny. I've heard people say this forever. You, you look at your husband. And I know this has happened. You look at your husband and you say, what are you thinking? And here's what he does. Food. <laughs> Come on, that's true. How many of that's happened? Honestly, that's happened. But it's interesting what we do. We sow to the flesh. Now, the Bible says God's given us all things freely to enjoy. Isn't that a blessing? That we can enjoy good food. We can enjoy good entertainment. We can enjoy good sports and good entertainment and good fellowship. We can enjoy all of that. But we have to make sure that in that, that we're feeding our spirit, not just our flesh. All right? Because if you sow to the flesh, you're going to reap corruption, the Bible says. But if you sow to the spirit, that's eternal. That's stuff that's going to live forever. Look at the next verse, verse 9. And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. So now we have church activities that we do. You have things that you need to invest in your children for. You need to, to spend time with your wife. You need to tell people about the Lord. There are a lot of responsibilities that we all have on top of feeding our families. A lot of responsibilities. Don't be weary in that well-doing. For in due season you're going to reap... If you faint not. How many of you can see there's a bunch of sowing and reaping in this chapter? All right, look at the next verse. As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. It's interesting. I just love it. So, for example, where's Jeff Bradshaw at? Is he in here? Junior church maybe? No, right there. Okay. He got a haircut. I couldn't recognize him. So... Other than all of the Awana and nursery workers wanting to kill him Wednesday night? Look at him. Eh, whatever. You sowed something. You sowed something, man. So this is very interesting. So Jeff is a businessman, and so many people in our church have gotten business and career counsel from Jeff. All of you, all of you Epic guys... Every one of you ought to talk to him. You need to talk to Harry uh, Starnes. You need to talk to Ed Bermond. You need to talk to these many other people. Talk to Scott Huffman about business and how that works. God's brought these people into the church for us, right? Right? So with all these engineers, you want to go into engineering, talk to some of these people. You want to go into fire, talk to these people. It's, you want to go into sales, talk to these people. But anyway, what has happened is Jeff has not only invested his time in his business, which is a successful business, but he has helped so many people in the church, whether helping them find jobs, helping them, not in his place, but saying, check out this, go this. It's amazing what God has done. What's he doing? He's not only helping the community through his business, 
but especially those who are of the household of faith. If you're a believer and you need career help or advice, he's there for you. See, that's, that's what we are supposed to do. We're supposed to be good to all men, but especially they who are of the household of faith. That is, we need to help the people in this room. Help everybody, but especially your brothers and sisters in Christ that you go to church with. It's been so fun when someone's struggling financially, and I can tell them, go see Harry Starnes and have him make a budget for you. I don't know how many times we've done that. And what's interesting is, often people will go to someone like Harry, he makes a budget, and they don't want to live by it, and so then the advice just falls on deaf ears. Other people, he's changed their life. And see, this is what God's plan is. God's plan is for us all to work in this place to help each other with more than just what we call spiritual things. It's with everything, every walk of life. All of our teachers that are in here, they help each other. They talk about things together. They complain about the school together because misery loves company, right? It, it just... It's good to have those brothers and sisters in Christ around you who can help you. Our law enforcement people, wherever you are here, our single moms, our our stay-at-home moms, our working moms, you have people that come alongside you and can help you. What are we doing? We're investing. We're sowing. Now, I've got to be done, but I just want to show you a couple of things and we'll finish. Look at Galatians chapter 6. All right, so look at our next verse. Verse 10 again, as we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. So what I want you to know is he has been talking about doing things for God's people. How many of you have noticed that everything in this chapter is about doing things for God's people? Are you all with me on this? So this was my introduction and my first point. Number one, do stuff for God's people. Do stuff for God's people. Don't just, don't just be a seat sitter. Be a person that says, I am going to invest in someone else in the church who needs my help. Are you all with me on that? Okay. You're all tired today, I can tell, that I'm really boring. Like, let's go on. So verse 11, you see how large a letter I have written unto you with mine own hand. Normally, he would have someone else write. This one, he wrote it, and he wrote it in big letters, okay? Now look at verse 12. As many as I desire to... I'm sorry. As many as desire to make a fair show in the flesh... How many of you can see, and we've already talked about the flesh? Sowing to the flesh, you reap corruption, all right? As many as desire to make a fair show in the flesh, they constrain you to be circumcised, only lest they should suffer persecution for the cause of Christ. So... In Judaism, one of the key things was to be circumcised. And if you became a Jew, even as an adult, they would require you to be circumcised. That was part of the Jewish faith. That has absolutely nothing to do with Christianity. So what they were doing was they were trying to bring the Jewish law into the church and impose things on Christians that they're not supposed to. So look at what Paul says. He says, verse 13, For neither they themselves who are circumcised keep the law, but desire to have you circumcised that they may glory in your flesh. But God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ 
by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, look, but a new creature. So here's what they're doing. This is really important. So you have these, these Judaizers and pull Jewish out of it. This isn't an anti-Semitic thing. This was a religious thing that was happening in the early church. These Jewish folks were trying to bring the Jewish law and merge it with Christianity. How, how would this work today? So circumcision was a spiritual right. It was something that they did as a part of their religion. Let's take that out. Let's use, let's use baptism as our example. So what if I said, uh, Isaac, if you don't get baptized, you don't get to go to heaven. Well, now, all of a sudden, I control whether or not he gets to go to heaven. Because if I refuse to baptize him, he can't go to heaven. Is that right? How many of you know that's exactly what's happened in Christianity? People have taken the spiritual ritual and turned it into something to exalt the flesh. And it could be communion. It could be giving. It could be church attendance. So again, Isaac, if I said that the only way you can go to heaven is, you, is if you faithfully attend church. Now, how many of you know there are people who believe that? So if I have a problem with Isaac... Now, I control whether or not he gets to go to heaven by whether or not I let him come to church. How many of you think that would give me way too much power? Amen? I don't have that power. A person never has to step foot in a church building to go to heaven. Heaven, you get to go to heaven based on Jesus Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. Look at the verse. It says it right here. Galatians chapter 6, look at verse 14. But God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. So now I don't glory in my works. I don't glory in my baptism. I don't glory in my faithfulness to church. I don't glory in the money that I give to the church. I glory in the cross of Christ because that's the only way that I can go to heaven. That's the only way that I can have eternal life. I glory in that. I glory not in my outward works, but in the inward work that God is doing. How many of you have ever found yourself where you responded well in a situation and it surprised you? Y'all know what I'm talking about? I, I don't know how I'm doing that. I don't, Chad Hollinger, he talks about at man camp, he gave his testimony and he, and he cried because he's a weenie. But he was, he was given his testimony and he, he cried a little bit. And, and he pointed, he said, this never happened before I got saved. This, this one, what, what is that? That's a change that God has made in him where he's awakened something in him. Well, he can't glory in that. That's something that God did. Are you all with me on that? And hopefully all of us experience these things where all of a sudden when we get with our family and our family is nasty and mean and we all know nobody can push your buttons like your family. I'm 56 years old and my sisters can make me mad like that. It's crazy because they're... No, okay. I always like to say if you want to understand the altar family, I'm the calm one. Yeah. 
Welcome to Christmas. <laughs> so here's what happens. God does a work in us to where now when we're with our family, we actually love them. We enjoy them. And the stuff that would normally make us mad, we're able to not focus on that. What is that? That's the Holy Spirit doing something in us that we can't do. It's wonderful. So here's the thing that I want us to remember. And and I wrote just a couple of things down right here. When, When a person... So in verse 15, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creature. When someone wants to control you spiritually by giving you access or denying you access to baptism or the Lord's Supper and that your salvation is based on that, they do it so they can manipulate you. If the only way to heaven is our ritual, we control your access to heaven. It is a clear rejection of the doctrine of individual soul liberty. These are the ones who persecute those who preach the truth. Why? Because we rob them of their power. I don't have any power over you. Amen? We handed out cards. Hey, we'd like for you to give some money to help pay the mortgage. You don't even put your name on that. I have no power over you. This is, you either want to help with the building or you don't want to help the building. That's between you and God. And I'm not going to be mad at you if you don't. It's none of my business what you do with that. Are you all with me on that? It is not my business whether you help with the building or not. That's between you and God. Do you see how, what have I done there? I've abdicated control. I don't have, that's between you and God. It's vital that you understand that's the difference between biblical Christianity and an oppressive religion. We are free before God. Man, that's wonderful. If the only way to get to heaven is Jesus Christ, then he's the only one we can glory in. So this, for in Christ, verse 15, Jesus, neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creature. doesn't matter what, what ritual. It's whether or not you've been born again, whether or not you're a new creature. If someone says, I'm going to heaven because when I was four days old, someone splashed water on my head. Why then does nothing about your life indicate that you're going to heaven? No heavenly vocabulary, no heavenly friends, no heavenly interests, no heavenly joys. No love for the Bible. Where is the new creature? Someone says, I'm a Christian. Really? A Christian that doesn't believe the Bible? A Christian that doesn't talk to Jesus? A Christian that doesn't care about souls? A Christian that can take fellowship or leave it? If the cross is strong enough to take you to heaven, it is also strong enough to make you a new creature. Are you all with me on that? But how does that happen? So God changes us, but he changes us through his word and our interaction with God's people. So the whole idea is as a believer, remember chapter six begins with brethren. So as a believer, I am either sowing to my flesh or I'm sowing to the spirit. I'm either investing in God's work and God's people for eternity, or I'm investing in the flesh, which is going to all go away. Remember, we got our funeral directors in here. They don't put a U-Haul behind the hearse. Amen? You don't take it with you. You don't take it with you. Only those things that you sow. Um, so where is the power? The world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. This is not for a select few who are dedicated. And I want you to show you something. I want to show you something. So go to, to, to Galatians chapter 6. All right, and look at verse 6. 
as many as desire to make a fair show in the flesh, they constrain you to be circumcised, only lest they should suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. So it's very interesting. People do not suffer persecution. Here, let me read it to you. I'm tired. My memory's not working great today. Um, So you will not be persecuted. And I'm almost done. Are you all with me? Is everybody okay? You're not going to be persecuted for displaying a coexist bumper sticker. Right? You won't be persecuted for that. You say to the world, I don't care what you believe as long as you don't care what I believe. And so what happens is, if we do that, none of us will believe. We will just all believe in what we don't believe. And what we do believe, and we will just all coexist. It doesn't matter whether you're a Jew, doesn't matter whether you're a Muslim, doesn't matter whether you're a pagan. And so you have the, the coexist. How many of you have seen the coexist bumper stickers? So I put these out. Brother Knox put this together. I put these out on the tables. So coexist, and the symbol is Islam, pacifism, gay rights, Judaism, paganism, Taoism, and Christianity. We all need to coexist. Notice which one is the last always. It's Christianity, the cross. So here's Brother Knox wrote this. Islam wants to kill the gay rights people, the Jews, the Christians, and the pacifists. If Islam got its way, Taoism and paganism would convert or die. How many of you know that's the truth? Okay. Pacifism can only offer nonviolent resistance to Islam. The problem is Islam has no trouble suppressing dissent with violence, so pacifism would be wiped out. Someone said, any nation that believes it can maintain peace using only peaceful means will soon be a peace of another nation. Right? So gay rights has been suppressed by all religions, which makes it intolerance, uh, intolerant. The gay rights people are intolerant of Islam, Judaism, and Christianity. Judaism is threatened by annihilation not only by Islam, but by pacifists who support Islam over Judaism. Paganism and Taoism are statistically insignificant in the West, but need to help the sticker make sense. Christianity is who the sticker is directed against. Listen, but Christianity poses no threat to the others. We would never hurt Muslims. We would never hurt Jews. We would never hurt gays. We love them. We love them. We pray for them. We want the cross of Christ to change their lives and to help them. It's interesting. But who are the people that are the most hated in the world? Biblical Christians. Biblical Christians. Yesterday... Laura found an email, listen, in her outbox that she didn't make. Apple put an email in her outbox waiting to be sent. 
And it was against Samaritan, which is our insurance company. So what we have is a medical sharing. And the, the cost of it is really, really inexpensive because you're, you're helping brothers and sisters in Christ meet their needs instead of paying for insurance. All right? Then there's a large umbrella policy for major medical stuff. So it's very inexpensive. And here's what happened. Samaritan has put together an organization. It's called the Morning Center. And what it's for, it's, it's free health care for ladies who are going to have a baby but don't have the funds to help. It's free. Everything is free. And they've saved 735 babies. And it's all about helping babies to be born with the help of Jesus Christ. Apple wants to stop that. So they actually created an, an email that is protesting. It's telling you to unsubscribe to Samaritan so that Samaritan can't get their message out. That was put in Laura's outbox by Apple. It's interesting. Why? Because they hate us. See, as a preacher, I have to write religious things for my sermons. How many of you have noticed that, that Apple fills in every word for you, even when you don't want it to? How many of you have noticed that? They can't put a biblical term in. Those, those religious terms, they're not in their dictionary. They're not there. They hate us. I'm not telling you not to use Apple. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is these people hate us. Listen, 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 listen. Because we want to save babies. They hate it. That we don't want them to murder children. Now, this might sound like a kooky preacher conspiracy thing. We'll show you the email. We're going to contact Samaritan tomorrow. Let them know that this is a campaign against them. It's so interesting. Why is it that these people hate what we're doing? Number one, they hate the cross of Christ because the cross of Christ says you need a savior. You can't save yourself. You are not good. You are a sinner and you deserve to go to hell. That cross says, that cross says you are not okay the way that you are and that you need a Savior. How many of you are thankful for the cross of Christ? They hate the gospel and our righteousness, our holy living is an indictment against their immorality. Just you existing is an indictment against their sin. Listen, we're not better than them. We are sinners just like them. We just acknowledge that we need a Savior. And most of us in this room would say, I have met that Savior, and He saved me. Amen? So remember, the world will not hate us for being like them. It will hate us for being different than them. And that's why if you're so into your flesh, if all you care about is the next raise, the next job, the next opportunity, the next party, if that's what you're interested in, then the world's going to hate Christianity. You're going to hate it too. But if you're interested in the Savior, 
you know, loving the people around you and in sowing for eternal things, then the world's going to hate you. The world's going to hate that. And you know what? That's okay. What did Jesus Christ say? They hated me first. Don't be surprised when they hate you. They hated me first. Now listen, let's go all the way back to the beginning of this. That's why we've got to bear one another's burdens. They're not going to bear it. The world's not going to bear it. We need to bear it. Bear each other's burdens. Amen? Okay, so here's, here, we'll just, let me just, oh, I went too long. I'm sorry, guys. Here's where it comes down. It's so simple. Man, it's just so simple. Either so to the Spirit or so to the flesh. Either live for God and God's people or live for something that will die. And then those of you who are here, who you're trusting that baptism to take you to heaven, it won't take you to heaven. You're trusting that communion to take you to heaven, it won't take you to heaven. Your church attendance isn't going to take you to heaven. The only thing that's going to take you to heaven is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, receiving that free gift of eternal life. Amen. Let's all stand together. Lord, thank you for Grace Baptist Church and the opportunity to be here, the opportunity to preach your word.